This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have, as long as they're financial. 888 99 is our number, 888-992-4278. Hey, Steve or Justin, thanks for taking my question. I am curious if switching my asset allocation during the current timing of the market right now would be a big mistake. What I'm talking about is inside my 401k, I currently have a target date fund, and the expense ratios are way higher than some of the funds I can pick on my own that will still diversify me as much as my target date fund. But I'm curious if I made that switch when the market's in a correction, am I going to lose out or am I going to make that up on the funds that I would pick being lower cost, if that makes any sense. I love the show and can't wait to hear your answer on the podcast. Thanks again. Okay, target dated funds. Those are the funds that have the date 2025, 2040, 2045, way out there. They could be way out there or they can be close. And you didn't tell me what year your target dated fund matures. If it's way out there, it's fully in the market and probably holds a bunch of indexes, index funds inside it. If it's really close, then it gets, it moves, as it gets closer to the retirement date, they buy more and more bonds. So if you wanted to be in the market, your target date should be way out there. And it, you will lose nothing or gain nothing necessarily by moving from that target date to individual funds, depending on the funds themselves and how they operate, what kind of funds you're going to buy. You won't lose not anything or gain anything just by making the switch. So I would prefer that you make a switch. I don't like target dated funds because I don't like the fact that they're kind of invisible what they're doing. And I don't like the fact that they automatically go to more bonds as the date gets closer because what if it's not a good time to be in the bonds? And I don't like bond funds. I like the individual bonds, but I don't like bond funds. So there's reasons I don't like it. Hey, Stephen, Justin. My name is Calvin from Los Angeles. Acknowledging that now is probably not the right time to do this because of the coronavirus concerns, but I'd long-term like to get some international exposure in my IRA. And I'm wondering... If you guys have a couple of recommendations for how best to do that, thank you. Well, I can't give you specific recommendations on what to buy overseas, uh, but buying a, a strong ETF, if you don't want to do the individual company research uh, in different regions, I, I would like uh, I would like Asia X China. I think that would be a great type of fund to own if you're looking for foreign exposure. Europe is certainly uh, going to have trouble, but they're they're cheap. Uh, the, the area is cheap, uh, so you're right. It isn't a great great time from a timing perspective, but I think we're you have much better values overseas, and I think increasing and looking for opportunities to increase your exposure overseas is certainly a smart thing to do. Now on Uber, Uber is now in a downtrend. It continues in a downtrend from its IPO. And it's now at $30 a share. And as long as we have the coronavirus 
scare in the world, this is going to suffer, right? Less people are going to want to be in confined spaces with people that they don't know who may be contagious or, you know, we're in a, in a, you know, in a car where a lot of other people who may be carrying the coronavirus were sitting, right? And therefore, I think people are going to be taking Ubers less, traveling less, etc. So certainly a poor time to be uh, owning share price, uh, share of, of Uber. But I do think there is some long-term value here. I think they can turn a profit. Uh, they should be able to turn a profit as long as their uh, businesses run a little bit better. I think we need to shed Uber Eats. Uh, and once they shed Uber Eats, I think you're going to see some improvement in their operations. Uh, but I, And I think they will do that over the next year or two. So certainly a company that I would have my eye on, but I would not buy it here at $32. I would look for the low 20s. That's the area that I'm eyeing Uber, and that's where I would like to own it. Hi, Stephen, Justin. This is Dave from Indiana. I have about two-thirds of my retirement sitting in cash right now, and I want to get back into the market at some point. It's still within a 401k, so I'll have to go back into mutual funds. How do I get back in considering the uh, volatility right now? Do I just dollar cost average in, and do I need to wait for a certain event before I uh, start? And also, is this something that your active 401k program would uh, help out with? I appreciate your time, and I love your show. Thanks. Uh, the answer is yes. I think active 401k would be a great choice for that to figure out when to uh, to get in uh, to the market and which funds in your options, fund options, are going to be the best for the particular market environment because it ranks the funds based on uh, costs, right? The underlying expense ratio, the market trends, the relative performance to peers within that particular group of the market, uh, as well as your risk tolerance. So all those things are very important when making those decisions and Active401k would be the best choice. Absolutely. So head over to investtalk.com, click on investment programs, and then Active401k, and you can see the subscription options. Our Invest Talk mission is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com. Hello, Steve and Justin. This is Jay Clark calling from Chicago again. Just had a question about Commodities in general, you see the gold mini shares, you see the gold direction, the, the three times leverage, you know, all type of different types of commodity holdings. Just wanted you to explain, you know, the differences between those different type of commodity holdings and what they mean to us as investors. I um, hope to hear it on the show. Thank you. All right. Well, commodities can be broken up in a lot of different ways. You have your energy commodities, right? Your oil, coal, natural gas. You have your soft commodities. You're talking about sugar, grain, corn, etc. You also have your precious metal commodities, your gold, your silver, your platinum, etc. So they all have very different use cases, very different properties, and they act very different in their price action in the marketplace. When you have a tough economic environment like right now, you're going to see the energy commodities do much worse and the precious metal commodities do much better. Now, you can invest in ETFs that track particular 
prices of those different commodities or a basket of commodities. That's one way to gain access. You can also own the individual companies who mine, produce those type of commodities. right? Or you can buy an ETF that owns a lot of the companies and you get broad diversification like a GDX owns a bunch of gold miners. Or you can invest in ETFs that are leveraged and then that is a speculative vehicle of, to, to help capitalize on the movement of the underlying commodity or the shares of the companies who produce that underlying commodity. So all of them have different risk factors. Uh, I think the, the lowest risk is going to be the actual commodity because right, it's a direct link. A little bit higher risk would be investing in directly in the companies that produce them. There's a little more leverage typically to those prices, right? Where gold miners, for example, typically have a two and a half to three times the overall volatility of gold prices. So if gold prices do well, you're probably going to do much better in individual gold mining names. But you have to pick the right ones as well. So if you don't have the expertise to understand which ones to pick, then you want to buy an overall ETF and you get broad diversification. If you have a very strong conviction, you could buy a leverage ETF to the shares or the underlying gold price or commodity price, whatever you're looking at, and use it as a trade. But you wouldn't want to own those and hold them long term. Hope that helps. Hey guys, this is Dave from Los Angeles. Thanks for the great show. I bought some shares of IAU, IAUF, and GDX just prior to the deep market correction this week, and I've been a little bit surprised by the steep downward trend in gold. It seems to be moving in the same direction as the stock market in general, and I'm wondering whether I should expect these holdings to rebound at some point in the next few months or perhaps over the next year as we potentially enter into an inflationary monetary policy. Thanks. Well, yeah, I think they will go up because of the fear that we're experiencing. So they actually have done pretty well. They, for surprising, some of the mining stocks fell sharply, uh, even though fear got extended and the dollar has gone down sharply. So I think you hold them. I think we have another run up in gold, and I think we're starting to see that now. So I would hold on to those positions. But don't overweight any sector. Don't. Now, I don't know if that is. What, I don't know if that's what you've done in your portfolio. I don't really know. You can call right now. And be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. Eight 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 ninety nine chart. Eight 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 nine nine two four two seven eight. And you can get through right now. Listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi guys, this is Kent in Arlington, Texas. I was calling to ask y'all a general question about conference calls. Do y'all listen to conference calls? And if you do, what do you listen for? Do you listen to the CFO or the CEO, or do you pay much attention to the questions the analysts are asking and, and their responses to their questions? Can you all give me a little info on that? Thank you, my friends. God bless you. Bye-bye. 
I really don't listen to I I don't listen to them. It's rare that I'll listen to a conference call. I will every so often if it's a company that I'm very interested in and things are happening. And I wonder what the questions are going to be and how the CEO or CFO answers the question. The reason why I don't like listening to them because it's nothing but a show. They're going to show or talk about how great things are with their company, and I don't like the analysts. The analysts are kind of part of the show. Seldom do they ask hard questions, really seldom. So if I know that they're going to ask hard questions, then I'd be more interested in listening to them. I'm talking about hard questions like, well, how come you lost money last year? And your your excuse that you lost money is because competition was tough, but isn't that your job to compete? You know, tough questions instead of, well, you know, that's nice. Uh, it's 20% growth. Are you sure you're going to be able to get it? Yeah, you know, it's soft. I don't like that. That's why I don't listen to them. Okay, let's go to Mark in Stockton. How are you doing, Mark? Yeah, I just left my company about a month ago, and I just wanted to know what I should do with my 401k plan. Great. I'm glad to hear that they have 401ks. Most companies do these days, and there's no reason why they shouldn't. You can do two things. Did you start a new job? Yes, I did. And they have a 401k also? No, they don't have a 401k. I'm a contractor, so they don't have any uh, okay. benefits. Then what you want to do is you want to roll the 401k into a IRA. Okay. Okay, and it's very simple to do. Don't think it's complex. You can roll that into any type of account. You can go to a bank and roll it into a savings account. You can roll it into a mutual fund account. You can roll it into a stock account. Any place you want to will roll it into. And then you can hire somebody to manage it for you, like us. You know, okay. We manage all types of IRAs. And we do rollover 401ks into IRAs all the time. Is there any fees to roll over the money no. from 401k it, to... It's okay. free. It's okay. no cost. Now, if you have a 401k and it's invested in certain mutual funds, you may have to sell off those mutual funds. In other words, put it all in money market before yeah. you roll it over. Oh, okay. But just call anybody who you want to help manage your money, or you can do it yourself. You can go to E-Trade or someplace else, call them up and say, I want to roll this 401k, and they will send you the paperwork. There's okay. also a form that you're going to have to get from your old 401k, from whoever's running that, your plan operator. There will be a form that needs to be filled out. If you want us to help you with it, give us a call. We'll be happy to do most of that for you. Okay. Maybe I'll give you a call then. Okay. Appreciate the call, Mark. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you, 888-99-CHART. Beginning our experience, we're here to answer your question. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey, this is Michael, and I wanted to call and ask about student loans and if you thought that paying the entire loan off at once, if you're able to, is a good idea or not. I graduated around a year ago and have about $9,000 in loans left at a 4% interest rate. And I recently got a bonus for my job as well as my tax return back. So I have more than enough just sitting in my checking account to pay the entire thing off and wanted to get your opinion on it. Thanks. Okay, 4% is not too expensive. 
But the first thing I would ask, and I need to have more information. If you're working, do you get? Yeah, do you, are you contributing to a 401k? Do you get any match from the 401k? You know, I put money to that. But in general, I like paying off loans. I don't like loans, car loans, credit card loans. You have no credit card loans. You should pay out the credit card loans first if you have any. Anything paying more than four percent, pay that off first. Pay your, your highest interest rate first off, then. Go to your student loans. But make sure you're maxing out your 401k if you're getting a match. Make sure you're doing that first. That's the very first thing you want to think about. 888 99 is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open. 888-992-4278. Hey, guys. This is Peter from Columbus. Thanks for the show. I love it. I just had a quick question about options. So I've been trading options for about the last few months, and it's been going well for me. But I was just curious, I understand the concept of it pretty well, but as far as the time to expiration and things like that, and then the, the possibility of profit, does the length of time itself actually impact it? Um, now, I understand that there's, you know, the expiration and, and strikes and all that stuff, but let's say I were to make a call, I were to buy an option for a week or an option for 45 days with the same strike price. Would that impact the potential profit that I could make outside of just, the time to expiration or how does that formula kind of work? Hopefully I can get this answered. Really appreciate it. Thanks guys. Love the show. Great question. And the fact that you asked me that question makes me worried that you're actually trading options because you should know this is the basics of options. So when you're buying an option, you likely want to go farther out, meaning, you know, yes, your payoff could be higher or will be higher if you buy a shorter dated option, say a week or a month out, uh, because the time value that you're, uh, that you're paying for is very small relative to longer dated options, maybe two months, three months, six months, maybe even a year out, you're paying a much bigger premium for that option because you're buying a lot of time. And the odds are you're going to need that time. Now, you certainly could get a quick payoff and the stock might move rather quickly on you and you're going to get a big return. That's certainly possible. But when you buy more time, it gives you more time for your bet to eventually pay off. If you buy a week option, year, a month option, right, where it expires relatively quickly, you're up against the clock. You're already on the clock for that to play out. And if it doesn't, you could lose all of your money rather quickly. So I always say, if you're going to buy options, you want to be going further out in the expiration uh, scale. And if you're selling options, whether that's a call or a put, you want to be shorter. You want to get that time value decay to be happening rather quickly. So it depends on which side of the, the ledger you're on, the, whether you're a buyer option or a seller of options, but that's kind of how they work. A quick reminder, if there's a term that you hear mentioned on the program, but you're unclear about what it means or you have a question about it, we want you to ask. It's very likely that you're not the only one with that same question. 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. Thank you for the show. I'm a relatively new investor. I uh, opened up an account looking to kind of invest for a longer term goal, like an investment property or something like that. Based on your show, I know that a large portion of my portfolio should include bonds. And I know everyone likes to call and talk about companies and options and things like that. But I was wondering if you could give me uh, a rundown on what bonds you guys like to buy, what I should look for when buying bonds. 
I know there are a couple different types of bonds, investment grade, corporate bonds, treasuries, things like that. I was also wondering what a junk bond is, if that's uh, just the name for a bond or if that means that it's junk and shouldn't be invested. Appreciate the show and appreciate you guys answering my call. Listen for it on the podcast. Thank you. Okay, that's that's a lot of lot of answering to do there. First of all, if you're young, we don't recommend bonds. You don't need to be in bonds. It's only when you approach in retirement that you want to take less risk that you start moving toward bonds. And we like you buying the individual bonds, not the bond funds or the bond ETFs. Now, um, bonds are a whole different animal from stocks, so it's very different. I'll answer the last question there about junk bonds. Okay, investment-grade corporate bonds are triple B-plus or higher. That's the rating. There's two rating agencies. I won't get into that. But you want a higher rating bond, investment-grade. Now, triple B-plus or better. Now, junk bonds are rated below that. That doesn't mean you can't invest in them. They're perfectly fine to invest in. Just realize they are higher risk. Now, it goes from triple B plus to triple B to double B plus to double B to double double B minus and blah, blah, on, 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 all the way down, okay? So, the higher rated junk bonds, most of them are fine. These junk bonds just pay higher a higher yield and the problem we've had in recent times is their yields are not enough to make up for the risk. So stay away from the junk bonds. But it doesn't mean you never invest in them. It doesn't mean that at all. Junk doesn't mean it will go under. But junk bonds have a higher percentage of going bankrupt and not pay the bonds back than investment grade. But still, you still can invest in them. You just got to be careful. I'm Money Manager Steve Peasley, and we're here to help you get better results if we can with your invested dollars. That's our goal. Do you have a question? Check in now. 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off 
now at rosettastone.com today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, my name is Tina. I just turned 21, and I have 2000 from family to start my very first IRA. A lot of people have suggested to purchase the S&P 500. I'm planning to just purchase an ETF, but I noticed the NASDAQ was outperforming the 500 in the last 10 years. So would it be a bad idea to purchase the NASDAQ instead of the 500? And also, since the market is plummeting right now, how do I know when to purchase? Two very, very good questions. And you're so young, um, so you have plenty of time. Plenty of time. Okay, what you need to understand is the S&P 500 moves differently than the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ is loaded with tech companies, whereas the S&P 500 is also has a lot of tech companies, but also other big blue chip and small mid-cap stocks. So the tech companies move up faster, but they also move down faster. For instance, in 2008, the S&P went down 50%. The tech companies, the NASDAQ heavy tech company index went down almost 70%. But then again, it moves up faster. So it's not a bad idea to put in the NASDAQ. How about this? Split it between the two. Put $1,000 in the SPY, which is the S&P 500, and put $1,000. You said you got 2000 for your IRA, or was it twenty five? Just split it into QQQs. That's the NASDAQ. I would probably do it that way. But there's nothing wrong with that idea. You got plenty of time. That's the beauty. And there is no there is no guessing the bottom. The market has fallen sharply. Go ahead and put half the money in. If it falls more, put the other half in. Remember, you have plenty of time. Plenty of time. Time will equal profits. Hi, this is Al from Reston, Virginia. An inverted yield curve is supposed to indicate an upcoming recession. We all know that a recession is coming if we're not already in one. So my question is, why isn't the yield curve inverted? Is that because possibly uh, due to all of the intervention by the Fed? Or 
Exactly. What is it telling us? Uh, is it possible that because it's not inverted, it's telling us that the recession is going to be short? Really be interested in any thoughts you may have on that. Thank you. Well, he's correct that typically an inverted yield curve does signal a, a recession. Now, most of pe- most people look at the two 10-year spread, and I believe it was flat, maybe briefly negative uh, late last year. And but with rates so low, it's hard for it to really get inverted. And certain other parts of the yield curve were inverted. Uh, and now it's starting to widen out. But what you have to understand is that's a process of going into a recession. Go back to 2007. We inverted in 2006. And it started to actually widen out in 2007 going into the recession in 2008 uh, where we, you know, the yield curve was steepening out uh, in 2007 and, and, and 8 and 9. So the inverted yield curve happened couple of years before the recession. Same with uh, in 2000, or sorry, 90, 98, right? 98 it inverted and we didn't go to recession until 2000. Same with 1990, inverted in 89 and we didn't go to recession until I believe it was 90, 91. So often that inverted yield curve is an indicator of a future recession, a year, two years out. And when it steepens out, that just means you're going straight into that recession. So uh, make sure you understand the lead time there with inverted yield curve. What's up, Steve and Justin? It's Jay calling from Chicago. Just wanted to get you guys' opinion on options. I know this is more of a conservative show, and we don't hear too much about options trading, but I would just like to hear you guys' opinion on um, options trading in this climate. And a follow-up question from that, do you guys trade options um, in your fund, for example? Do hedge fund managers trade options? I'm just trying to get an understanding of who I'm trading up against when I'm executing these type of trades. Look forward to hearing that on the show. Thanks, guys. We have no problem options. One of our program is called Equity Income Plus, and it, 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 it does options. So we, we will do options. Should, I will tell you this. They're more complicated than people think. We like to do covered calls. Okay, we don't want to do naked calls. And a covered call means you own the underlying stock. Naked calls mean you don't under, own the underlying stock, and it's more, it's a bit more risky that way uh, because we like the income options produce. Okay, so no, I, we have no problem with options, uh, but I will warn you that it does take special knowledge and a lot of experience. So be careful with them. Managing multiple mutual funds, researching professional services where to put your savings. If it's about money and if it's important to you, we want to know more about it. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART is how to reach Steve or Justin right now on Talk. Hey, Steve and Justin. This is Chris from Philadelphia. Hey, I'm 36 years old and currently 100% of my 401k contributions are going into a Fidelity 2050 target date fund. Given the current downturn and my long-term time horizon, I was contemplating either selling 50% of my balance and putting it into a Fidelity 500 index fund, or I could just change 50% of my future contributions go to a Fidelity 500 index fund. Uh, My goal is to track closer to the S&P 500 during the rebound, given the potential for higher returns. Curious to get your opinion on either of those strategies. Thanks. Really appreciate the show. Well, I kind of like the second one better. Um, Okay, that stock market, I just don't think it's done with its its uh, bear market uh, moves. I think that, you know, uh, we are probably going to f- 
suffer another pullback, the retest of that low. And, you know, I think if you dollar cost average into the index, the S&P 500 index with new money, I think that would work. Remember, if it's 2050, if it's a 2050 fund, that means it's mostly all exposed to the stock market. So you're probably tracking most of the index as it is. So it's not a big major change no matter what you do. Appreciate the call. 888-99-CHARTERS, our number, 888-992-4278. Hi, I had a 401k from a previous employer that was automatically rolled over into an IRA. It's just in cash currently. And uh, I'd like to move that over to a Schwab or a TD Ameritrade or something and just get a little experience day trading with that money if possible. I've been playing with a little of my personal money in Robinhood accounts. I don't play with my 401k at all. I don't touch that at all. I max out the contribution. Is it possible to day trade with money that was formerly in a 401k? And am I going about this the right way to get experience? I'd love to hear your answer on the show. Thank you. Well, there are sometimes rules around day trading in an IRA, especially if they're under $25,000. So typically look into that with what the uh, the broker's rules are on it. I definitely would move your money away from Robinhood. I don't think anybody should have uh, their money in Robinhood anymore, especially with Schwab, TD, E-Trade, Fidelity, all having commission-free trading. So I would try to consolidate your IRA and brokerage account into to one firm. We use TD Ameritrade, but uh, they're all... Uh, pretty good to definitely make sure they're all sipic insured and big so definitely go uh, uh, with that route uh, now day trading 99 out of 100 people who day trade fail so your odds of, of failure are very very high uh, if you're going to day trade uh, start with paper trading start making you know real live decisions don't look backwards and say well what if I did this say okay I'm going to to say, I'm going to pull the trigger right now. If I did that, my fill would probably be this. Put that down in a spreadsheet and then start paper trading. Okay, I would, pro- I would get out here. Put that down. And be honest with yourself as well. Be very, very honest with yourself. And there are actually even uh, paper trading programs out there that you can use. So paper trade first. Find a strategy that you find work works week after week, and frankly, month after month. I would, day, I would paper trade for six months before you do any type of day trading. Hi, my name is Matt. I'm 34 years old. I've been a listener for a couple of years. Historically, I've been invested just in equities, and you know, during the last month or so, I'm realizing I need to probably shift my focus to be invested in some bonds as well. I was wondering what the easiest way to gain exposure would be I don't have a lot of time to actively manage individual portfolio companies' holdings. For instance, I've been selling out of individual securities last year and and buying into ETFs just to sort of passively manage uh, my portfolio. So I was wondering if bond ETFs were an option or if I should be looking more towards bond mutual funds. I understand that both have risks. But I'm essentially just wondering what's the easiest way I can gain exposure to fixed income without having to actively search for individual bonds. Look forward to hearing answer on the podcast. Thanks. Well, I would prefer bond ETFs. Uh, they also are a type of mutual fund. So don't don't think that a mutual bond, uh, a mutual fund bond 
is that much different than a mutual uh, than an ETF that has bonds in it? They're pretty much the same. But there's a, what you have to decide as a bond investor is what length of bond you want. Do you want a short-term bond, long-term, intermediate term? What is the best place for you to be? And that's where the difficulty comes in. And re- always remember, when interest rates go down, the bond values go up. So your bond ETF and bond mutual fund will go up in value if interest rates come down. If interest rates rise, interest rates rise, the bond, uh, mutual fund bond and the ETF bond fund will go down in value. So I prefer to have you own the individual bonds. I really do. 888-99-CHART is our number, everybody. You can reach us. We have lines open, 888-992-4278. Hey, the older I get, I start to realize the, the time in the market and I wondered about um, the implications for a Roth IRA for my child. I understand there's no minimum age, but they have to have earned uh, income, like taxable income. I didn't know if my business could pay them for one year, and that would suffice, and then they could contribute to a Roth IRA, or how, how does that work? Thank you. Well, they can contribute, or you can pay them if they're eligible for a job. I don't think you can do that for a young child because they, a young child can't have earned income because they can't technically have a job. So sure, I'm sure your business your business can absolutely employ uh, your child as long as uh, they meet the age requirements. I, w- I would imagine. Obviously, I'm not a an employer lawyer, but uh, or a labor lawyer. But uh, yeah, uh, that's the way I, I would imagine it would work. Hi, Stephen Justin. I was wondering if you could comment on the medium to long term effects of the trillions of dollars in stimulus the Fed keeps putting out. It seems like all this spending to boost the economy right now can't just come consequence-free. Thanks. I'm looking forward to your answer. I agree. <laughs> I think there's definitely a lot of moral hazard here. You think a uh, moral hazard of banking of bailing out the banks. Remember the Occupy Wall Street movement? Well, what happens when every corporation in, in all industries get bailed out uh, because they bought back shares, uh, leveraged up their balance sheet, didn't save for a rainy day, and suddenly the corporations get bailed out, but individuals get a $1,200 check. Uh, I think that's, uh, uh, from a political standpoint, I think that's going to be the biggest fallout. You're going to look a year from now, two years from now, and and look back at these bailouts, and and I think people are going to be appalled at the details uh, in these uh, these packages. And uh, I think there's political ramifications from it. Now, these dollars are just plucking holes in the system, so they're not creating inflation per se right now. Uh, it's just creating really a, a, a less efficient economy. Bankruptcies are good. Bankruptcies are good for economies. They refresh the capital structures. They lower the burden of debt on the economy. They put in new management, new thinking. And so these companies have a much better chance of growing over time as opposed to just suffering under the weight of debt. And uh, so I, I definitely think there's poor, there's, there's knock-on effects that will be bad for the business economic aspect of our economy as well as the political aspect of our country and really the world if you think about it. So uh, I think there will be many, many knock-on effects. 
Let's go talk to Bob in San Bernardino. How you doing, Bob? Well, I must confess in all humility that I violated one of your principles by Uh-oh. investing in a fund that I don't understand very well. Okay, let's talk about it. It's the Vanguard V Victor C Charlie V Victor S Sugar X Ray. Okay, so the Vanguard bond fund there. It's a convertible. Okay, do you know what a convertible means? Just the general idea that they it combines the qualities of stocks and bonds and they can go back and forth. Yeah, well, they don't go back and forth. They go in one direction. So you have a convertible bond fund, meaning that the bonds in there can convert to the stocks. Stocks cannot convert back to bonds. Yeah, I told you. I don't understand it. Yeah. So the bond says, okay, this is a convertible bond. It can have, it may, it's probably full of convertible preferreds, meaning paying their high dividend payers. So a convertible is better than just a straight vanilla bond fund in this environment, Bob. Why? Because they can convert to stocks, which stocks probably will move better. It depends on the convertible. You and I, Bob, by the way, will never ever know exactly what the bond convertible bond funds that they actually own in the Vanguard that we won't really know. Because you can look up their holdings, but then you have to do some investigating to find out, well, when does it convert to a stock? And what in what situations do all these various convertible bonds convert to stocks? And is it to my benefit or not? See, it gets very complex. Now he claims Oak Tree Capital Management mm-hmm. is the fund advisor. Uh-huh. And in their sales point, they make the claim that they so, their selections are based upon both appreciation and minimizing our downside protection. And that's probably true when you're talking about a convertible bond. He's not telling you a lie. That is true. In a convertible bond, it does help on the downside movement because of the bond portion of that stays more steady. What he's not telling you is interest rates affect bond funds dramatically and that if interest rates go up, chances are good that your convertible bond fund will go down, but just not a lot. Okay, well, you've given me uh, more uh, anxiety now that I know oh, it's a bond I'm fund. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that, Bob. I really didn't. Well, at least I understand the risk I'm taking. That's well, an improvement over not understanding at all. Okay, I appreciate the call. Thank you, Bob. I really do. Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hello, my name is Sue. I'm with in Florida. Just started listening to your show. I'm about 10 years away from retirement, and I'm trying to educate myself. Uh, right now, my portfolio is with Edward Jones, and I don't know, I keep reading that they are quite expensive. But my question is relating to you refer to position, buy a position, buy a half a position. What exactly does that mean? Is a position the, the cost of the stock or is it a specific amount of money and depending on how many, you can, how many stocks you can buy for one position? Just trying to educate myself. Love your show. Have a good day. Bye. 
Well, thank you for the question. I really appreciate that. A position means we're buying a stock or an ETF, most of the time, or a bond. Most of the time, I'm referring to a stock. And a position for us, we like to not buy more than 3% of any one stock or any one position in our stock programs. So when I say, uh, well, we put in a half a position, that means I bought one and a half percent of the portfolio and of course that means a number of shares depends how big your portfolio is right a hundred thousand portfolio is very different than a million dollar portfolio but one and a half percent is still one and a half percent now be a half a position three percent is a full position so it's it's a question of how much of a portfolio that you're buying and we buy three percent many people you can buy up to five percent but you know if you want to like ease into something you don't have to buy the whole position another three percent or the whole five percent so sometimes i mean we bought one percent sometimes and then buy another percent and another percent three three purchases especially since there's no no trading costs anymore so that's what we mean by position. Jason and Chula Vista, how are you doing, Jason? Good, good. If I were going to use a trailing stop, mm-hmm. uh, or do you even recommend that at all? How would I, I, I use it? Jason, I don't really care what kind of stop you use. You can have a trailing stop. You can have a certain price that you change every day because the, um, the stock is moving up and you want to tighten up stops because of what's happening. Jason, all I ask is for people to have some kind of system that they're using, and if it works, keep it. If it's not working and you're getting in and out, in and out, stocks too fast, then that means your system needs to be tweaked. But there's nothing wrong with trailing stops. A trailing stop is when, let's say the stock is moving up and it has been moving up for months here or weeks. You keep moving your stop up as the stock price goes up. That means if it's 8% off its high, you get out. That's what I'm looking at. Rather than going in and adjusting just a regular stop periodically, I'm looking at just putting a 5 or an 8% or 10% trailing stop. That makes sense, Jason. Well, the only time you'll take a look at it and say, uh, what percent should I put on this stock is you got to look at the volatility of that individual stock. For instance, some stocks go up 3 to 5% a day and down the same amount. Well, an 8% trailing stop might be too tight. Maybe a 10% would be better or you know, a 12%. But if a stock only goes up very small and down very small and it's on an upward path, then you could tighten up the stop. Make it a 5% stop. Okay. Look at the individual volatility. Just having across the board doesn't necessarily always work. That answers my question. Thank Thanks, you. Jason. Appreciate the call. Hi, guys. Lee from North Carolina here. I have a question for you about the financial industry as a business. I have been managing mine and my wife's retirement accounts for a couple of years now, and I've decided to start studying to take my Series 65 exam. Planning on taking that uh, over the summer. Just curious as to what would be the best line of action after I pass the Series 65. Would you recommend trying to start my own investment advisor firm or try to find an established firm to become an investment advisor representative? Or, you know, what what would you recommend for someone like me that's uh, looking to venture out into the investment advisor business? Thanks. Looking forward to hearing the answers. Great question. There's definitely a lot of routes uh, to go. Uh, It's been many years. I passed my Series 65 when I was 19 or 20, I believe. So I was was pretty young. And uh, luckily, I had my grandfather as my mentor, founder of KPP Financial. And uh, that helps a lot, is really have a mentor. And so I would try to find a smaller firm 
and uh, a mentor that really can show you the ropes of the industry, uh, the pros and cons, uh, manage around the, the trends uh, of indexing, which makes uh, you know our business uh, tougher, frankly. And so uh, I would look for a smaller firm that has a mentor, and then you can maybe grow into being a, a partner uh, or maybe break out on your own. But a larger firm, you're probably not going to get quite the exposure, the experience you really need. Look for a smaller firm with a great mentor. Before we go, you can see more about today's topic. Go to investtalk.com. You want to contact me directly? Easy. Leave a message in the machine or go to investtalk.com. I'm Money Manager Steve Peasley, and I want to thank you for listening. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, Call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART.